0: The volume. Soup with Coop brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, any other fantasy sport. There is a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win.
1: My next guest on Soup with Coop is someone who I have not seen in nearly 24 years. We were hanging out at the Downtown Athletic Club in New York at the Heisman Trophy presentation. And uh, neither one of us won that night, Ryan. But welcome to Soup with Coop, Ryan Leaf. How are you, my friend?
2: I'm doing well. I got my soup. You know how funny this is, is this was meant to be because I have my meals delivered to me every day. And guess what today's lunch was? Tell me. Creamy tomato and chicken soup. This was meant to be.
1: I'm having a little tomato soup today. Taste it. Tell me how how they they deliver it hot for you. Or you have to heat it up.
2: I have to heat it up, but it's very good. Very I mean, good.
1: I and mean, I have someone help me with my soup. She always puts a little grilled cheese in there. I mean that.
2: Yeah, like here. here's my little wedge
1: of oh, oh. that's you know that's no no better way to start. Are you, are you a soup lover? I'm not a lover, <laughs> but there are some moments where
2: I'm at a restaurant or. I'll just be craving, a, and I'm a cream-based soup, so I'm like a cream of mushroom, tomato. I would like a, a, a lobster, uh, maybe a, a creamy lobster bisque, something like that. I'm more of a kind of a cream-based soup uh, connoisseur. Well,
1: you look like you're not eating a lot of cream. You look good. You look like you're lean and mean right now. What are you, what are you weighing right now, Ron?
2: I'm about 225, 230, um, and that's a big difference for me. Uh, about a year ago, July 3rd, saw a picture of myself with my kiddo, and I, I felt I looked uh, bloated, angry. And you know this better than anybody having children. Uh, once you do, you want to be around as long as you can for them. So I was stuck at home in the pandemic. And I talked to a nutrition friend of mine who also ran like a meal delivery service. He said, let's try, let's try this. And it, it turns out it was just, it was, it was all the food I was consuming, um, dropped like 70 pounds in a matter of six months and have maintained it since much more energy. My mental acuity, I feel like is, is much better or more articulate, um, and I just I have more energy to run around with that three and a half year old, and it's it's made a huge difference. So, and I and I do like the the physical benefits. I like that I have smaller fitting clothes. I like that my joints don't bother me anymore when I'm, you know, chasing him around and stuff like that. So this is this was, you know, a, a forward evolution for me and needed to be done.
1: You mentioned having children and running around when you were growing up in Montana. Were you a into every sport? Were you an, an athlete at at out of the gates and competitive and in playing everything.
2: Yeah. um, My dad, my dad was a quarterback for his local high school team. Went off to play at college. uh, Didn't really, didn't really work out. Came back home, got drafted, uh, served a couple tours in Vietnam and then raised three boys. And he just loves sports. He didn't force us into doing anything. Uh, He just had a basketball hoop out in the front yard. Uh, We had a little baseball diamond set up and, in the front yard with uh, of ball games, and then you know he just followed us around, played football, basketball tournaments, got me playing golf. I mean, it was baseball. It was just sport to sport. It wasn't that that focus like we see a lot of kids these days that are just focusing on, focusing on one sport. And I thought I thought it helped me a ton in terms of my my athleticism.
1: Were you a good player? Ryan? Were you always kind of the first pick in the in the when they're choosing sides, or were you a late bloomer?
2: No, I was I was lanky and tall and athletic, good hand-eye coordination. Uh, I when I speak around the country, you'll like this, and I'm sure your family will like this. I, I start off my speeches about being from Montana and how small it is, and and everything like that. And I say, you know, I'm I'm the only first-round draft pick ever from the state of Montana. And then I punctuate it with. There are more first round draft picks in the Manning family than the whole state of Montana ever. So that gets a good chuckle out of everybody. Kind of, you know, my, my speeches are a little uh, intense, but uh, it gets them to chuckle and understand that we're, we're there to enjoy our, our time with them. And it's, it's amazing. It's, it's weird to be the only one ever from your state. Um, I didn't really have a trailblazer. I was just incredibly competitive. I had to try to win everything and uh, had two younger brothers, uh, just like you, who, who I could, you know, bounce around with and play with and compete with, and, and it, was, it was a wonderful childhood uh, around sports.
1: My parents uh, were constantly breaking up fights between, you know, Eli wasn't really in the fighting situation. He was a little too young, but Peyton and I were at each other's throat. Were you, we all, you know, when it got to 18, 18 in the backyard and the, and the hoops game was, was blood coming before someone hits 20.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm three and a half years older than my, my middle brother, but then I'm a full nine years older than, than Brady. I don't know if you remember this picture from the Heisman trophy ceremony of, of, I think you're, you're over to the left a little bit further. And then there's my little brother either in the middle, right next to Eli and our parents addressed them right and it was just like a plaid shirt with a striped tie and just nonsense and I always bring it out to show my brother uh Brady because you know my mom we had never done anything cool like went to New York and, and your son was up for a, a trophy like that but she thought she was dressing them the best she could and it's an always constant reminder and a, a, and a way to Poke a little fun at the baby brother about his his, uh, his wardrobe we, during the uh, Heisman Trophy I must season.
1: admit, we still talking about that outfit. I've been kind of waiting for that to come back in style. I thought Brady was just ahead of his time.
2: <laughs> I like it. I like it.
1: You remember also about that night in, uh, in downtown, remember Randy Moss was there. It was y'all four, you, Charles, Woodson, and Peyton, and Randy, and Randy wore sunglasses the whole night. You remember that?
2: Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people – you know, there was swirlings around him going pro and failing a drug test and things like that. So I think a lot of people projected onto him, like it must've had something he was, what was going on. And we later found out with Randy is that he was, he was having kind of a, a, a real significant anxiety attack and it made him feel comfortable, like having the glasses on. And cause he was there with, he talks about, it, he was there with Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf and. Charles Woodson. He didn't know if he belonged. He had all, he was so worried about uh, ESPN bringing up his past travails and it was just an uncomfortable situation. And of course, I wish I would have known more about this and it could have been a comfort to him. Um, It was a, it was a unreal night. I knew I wasn't going to win. I assumed Peyton was, and I was just there to, uh, you know, relish in the fact that Washington state was getting some recognition. Um, You know, the only, Washington state player ever invited to the Heisman trophy ceremony, the highest finishing player. So it was a special night for me, my family representing Washington state, representing Montana, Mike price, our head coach. And then I was just awfully cool to spend time with, with the likes of Charles Woodson and Randy Moss and Peyton Manning. I just, I was, I was in awe.
1: And then flashing back to Montana, not, not a, not a competitive you know, high school football, as as you see in Florida and Texas and everywhere. I mean, obviously, not a ton of people getting recruited. What was your recruiting like? And then, did you were you a Washington State fan? Who was your football team?
2: Um, the Colorado Buffaloes. That's where I wanted to go. A they were good when I was a freshman in high school. There was a senior linebacker who was getting recruited by Division I schools. And getting recruited by a Division One school in Montana was was big business. He usually went to the FCS, Montana, Montana State, Weber State, things like that. So he went to the University of Colorado. And I remember going on my first unofficial visit there, going to Boulder. They were still in the Big Eight. Uh, Nebraska came, Tommy Frazier. Colorado had Cordell Stewart. It was, I'm like, I got to come here. I got to come here. And then when I went on my visit, you know, Coy Detmer was in line and I just was like, am I ever going to play here? I I didn't, didn't know, but I got recruited by pretty much everybody. Um, I took visits to the university of Miami, um, Washington state, Colorado state, Colorado um, had Oregon UCLA on, on tap. So they were able to find um, me in little old Montana. There was a lot of Montana ties. Dennis Erickson was at Miami. He had, Played at Montana State, had married a Great Falls, Montana girl, which is where I'm from. Dave Arnold, who was the recruiting coordinator down there, had coached at Montana State. Sonny Lubick had Montana ties at Colorado State. Brian Cabral at Colorado. And then the day of the Rose Bowl, it was UCLA in Wisconsin, January 1st, 1994. Mike Price, the head coach for Washington State, just another random recruiting call, I think. I don't know if he had it really a huge objective or motive called me to ask what I was doing. And I said, I'm watching the Rose bowl. And he said, I'll make you a deal, Brian, you come here to Washington state. Uh, we'll play in that game together. And I, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I walked into mom and dad's bedroom, looked at them and said, I'm going to Washington state. They kind of <laughs> looked at me and, and, uh, they were happy cause it was close enough to home, but I think far enough away where I could start to develop, some independence, but I also hadn't done any research. I hadn't realized they hadn't been to a Rose Bowl since 1931, Coop. 67 years it would be. But – That's a good you know, recruiter was, right
1: there. That's a really good recruiter.
2: And Terry Donning, who God bless him, who just recently passed away, was the head coach of UCLA, and I remember him calling, and when I told him I was canceling my trip to UCLA, and he said, well, I'm going I'm to make this obviously clear, Ryan, but I couldn't call you the day of the Rose Bowl. We were playing, we were playing that game, you He's, know? Yeah. That's- um great choice uh mike price was like a second father to me taught me how to play the quarterback position um we did something that hadn't been done there in forever it made uh made history um, great a lot of great accomplishments that team will remember be remembered forever uh, really really special really proud to have to have played there gone to school there got my degree there as you can see i still represent as much as i can
1: when i can you mentioned going on a visit to Miami. What the heck happens on a visit to Miami in the early '90s? You got to share something. I mean, was who is who was your host? Who was there? That, that teams those teams were star studded.
2: Yeah, Bryce Erickson, so Dennis's son, was there as a walk on quarterback. But Ryan Costa uh, and or Ryan Collins and Frank Costa were the quarterbacks. They were just coming off the national championship. Warren Sapp was there, like as a sophomore. Dwayne the Rock Johnson was like a sophomore, or junior, and this is a story I've told a lot. Where we went out that night, and of course, after we got done eating dinner with the coaching staff, they take us out and about in Coral Gables. And I never drank alcohol in my life. It took me to Dan Marino's bar. I had a rum and coke, and probably fell over uh, a few minutes later. But we were in and out of cars, going to places, and I remember meeting a couple of these individuals. And one of them, and of course, you wouldn't know who the hell they were at the time. Uh, was this, you know, Polynesian giant defensive tackle, uh, Dwayne Johnson. And he would go on to be The Rock and be the highest paid movie star in the world. And there I am. And, you know, I think it was January of 94 on a uh, <laughs> recruiting trip to Miami. Now I have a story later, years later, like, I, yeah, I think I partied with The Rock and Warren Sapp on my recruiting trip to to Miami
1: your first drink out in a club in Miami with the rock. I mean,
2: yeah, yeah. It's a pretty good one. Um, I was so hungover the next day. I didn't make it to hardly any of my uh, academic meetings. Eric Price, Mike Price's son was the GA down there, ironically enough. And I I apparently just kind of slept on his couch in his little office there at the University of Miami in their facility for most of the day. Uh, Dennis was very honest with me when we went through our exit interview, he said, you know, if there's a professional job that comes, I am going to take a hard look at it. Sure enough, the Seattle Seahawks job came about and he, he jumped at that. And he also said that the recruiting coordinator saw me more as a tight end, maybe linebacker. And, uh, that's pretty honest. And I just was, I was such a fish out of water. I was like in cut up jeans and a flannel shirt on South beach. It was, it was not, it was not a fit for me. I belonged in the, uh, the wheat fields and the rolling hills of, of Pullman or Boulder, Colorado or Fort Collins, you, well, I mean, Colorado. That's, that's where right. I belong.
1: I know it's maybe it doesn't make sense as much when you're from, you know, the West, but are you, were you just a country boy, a, a, just a small town country kid and, and yep. the bright lights were, were, were too bright.
2: Yeah. I just didn't know about it. And I didn't know what the bright lights were. It just, I grew up uh, on the Missouri river, uh hunting the rocky mountains fishing playing outdoors you know wasn't a video game guy you know me and my two younger brothers and all our friends on the block we just we had a football field in our backyard a baseball diamond at the end of our block I mean it was just we were just outdoors kids in a state that had about 750,000 people in a state that's huge it's the fourth largest state in in the country but just no people and uh you know, it was, yeah, I'm just, I tell a lot of people all the time, especially when my career went so south and I, and my behaviors became an issue um, that I wish I could have just, when the narrative started going the other way, like this guy wears the black hat, I always wish I would have been able to just say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm just this kind of, you know, redneck hick from Montana who just wants to play sports and be liked. And, uh, you know, I wasn't ever able to do that. And that's that's exactly who I was. I was just this kid who wanted to play sports, compete, and, and wanted people to like me.
1: You know, Ryan, it's funny you mentioned that because I we're traveling around and seeing some of these college towns and the the infrastructure, especially as you get into these really big programs, the they have mental health coaches on staff or you're not it's not and they were talking about how there was a little stigma if you wanted to go visit one now everybody goes it's not it's not right it's not a if you're having problems this is here for you it's everybody goes and meets with a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a mental health coach and just just talks about things gets things you know hey this is a big change I'm, I'm living here and all of a sudden now I'm on my own living in this in this college town I got freedom but I've got responsibility and it's uh it's a lot to handle. Did you did you struggle at, at Washington State out of the gates just kind of handling that? I mean, it was one thing to the pros, but even the transition from small town high school to, you know, to pack pack 10, you know, competitiveness has got to be. A- yeah,
2: I think uh, especially when you're so wooed and courted by these coaches and everybody, you just assume when you walk on step, like, hey, remember me? Remember how much you love me? And now they're like, Hey, you got to be up at 6am to do your workout with the freshmen. You're going to red shirt. You're going to run the scout team. We got, we got games to win here. I can't be worrying about you right now. That was, that was really difficult. Right. And. Cause I just assumed like, I mean, they love me, right. They love me so much. They just begged and pleaded for me to come here and let me walk on campus. And they're calling me baby Bledsoe, So I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is, this is how we're going to roll. No. And, uh, You know, then I just kind of wanted to, I just wanted to compete. So I didn't go to school. Uh, I didn't take my classes seriously. My GPA, my first, my freshman first semester was really bad. Yeah, it was, it was extremely difficult transition. There were no uh, alternatives of mental health or guidance or anything. It was just tough love and like got to get through it. And, you know, I I get it. I get uh, nowadays the transfer portal and and things being that way, you, you impulsively act. Uh, and and do something like that you know you jump to where you think the grass is greener I I think it made me a stronger individual having to deal with adversity overcoming it win the job you know become the leader of that team that was that was definitely and I did start the final year there I started seeing a, a kind of a sports psychologist that they had on staff there but it really wasn't around I remember going to him at night after watching film and we would work on like visuals visualization stuff more like visualizing a tighter spiral, things like we, it wasn't, we weren't talking about actual emotional growth and emotional health that I think uh, is, is present for, for players uh, now than, than it was then.
1: You get drafted second pick, obviously you and Peyton are kind of back and forth. Who's the number one guy when you're, when you're I mean, amazing success in, in, in college, were you, um Confident in your ability, or were you also? Did you also kind of sense I might not? I might be a little more fragile than they think I am at that time. Can you remember? Can you look, think back? Yeah, I, I
2: I was extremely confident. Right, I was so confident that I was like, I, I don't care if Indianapolis doesn't take me one. Uh, Peyton and I are one A and one B. You know, whoever you're going to get, you're going to get the guy. And Peyton and I are going to spend the next decade and a half. Fighting each other for the AFC Championship every year. That's that's how I envisioned it. I thought I was exactly where I was supposed to be. This was this was destined. This was where it was supposed to be, um, and I was excited for it. I was naive to what was about to come: the scrutiny, the pressure, uh, <laughs> dealing with failure in a healthy, positive way. I had no idea um, how to do that the right way, and and it's still, and Peyton probably gets sick and tired of me asking him these things when we see each other 24 years removed, but I keep, you know, I always, when I'm around him, I always keep, you know, asking him how he did it, you know, because it, I couldn't. It was so hard, and there's a reason why there's only, you know, 10 or 12 every year that are probably extremely, ex, ex, you know, um, you know, who do well who, and get it done, so you know, I just, uh, uh, I was incapable. And it's not a slight, it's the hardest thing to do in the world, but short story here, um, that final year when Peyton and I were, he was a senior and I was a junior and our names started getting attached to one another. I remember reaching out to my sports information director um, and asking if he would reach out to, to Peyton's and, and if he and I could get on the phone and have a conversation. And if you remember correctly, you know, there's no such thing as cell phones or like you had to be home on a landline to have that call. Right. So we had it. It was planned. And I was like, oh, my God, Peyton Manning's going to be calling or we're going to be talking, talking about Peyton Manning. Now. And I remember picking up the headset and hearing that that and hearing your your draw a little bit today and hearing his for the first time. On that phone call, I was just like, wow, we were 21 year old kids. Um, no idea what was ahead. And we're going to be attached at the hip for the rest of our lives. And, uh, I look back on that fondly, um, his, the way he treated me, um, the way he's continued to treat me, the way your mom, Olivia and Archie treated my parents during the whole process, the draft process, when things went poorly for me, um, and I struggled I think probably Peyton might be the one person that I would uh, realistically hold a resentment against, but I don't. I am incredibly proud of him. Uh, I'm going to Canton this week. Are I you really? Do some behavior, I have to do some behavioral health things with the Hall of Fame, trying to help our former players. Um, but I was told I could I could come back on Friday after the game, and you know Charles is in my draft class. Peyton's in my draft class, and they're both in my Heisman Trophy class. Um, and I thought, how cool would it be that, uh, to support those two going into the Hall? I was able to do it for Randy a few years ago at the Super Bowl when he was um, told um, that he would, that he got it when we were in Minnesota for the Super Bowl. And uh, yeah, I'm incredibly proud of both those guys. I know how hard it is. Um, I'd love to be there to support them. I've never been to the Hall of Fame, never been to an enshrinement what a perfect way to do it, um, to watch a couple guys that you grew up with competed against, um, watch flourish, uh, go into the hall of fame, which is the echelon of what us players want to accomplish.
1: I look forward to seeing you there, Ryan. I've never been yeah. before. I'm excited to be a part of that aura and go visit and see the great players. And, and, uh, um, I'm obviously, um, it's no secret that we've always been pulling for you. I mean, we, we've had a great time in Canton getting, I mean, in in New York back in the day and, you know, competition's one thing, but also just being a, a good guy and pulling for guys you compete against. That's what makes it. I mean, you know, playing people that you don't, you know, that are, that are inferior to you. That's not competition. It's guys going against guys who, you know, were good players. I remember those, those games, you know, when you're a rookie playing on bad teams, which you and Peyton were, and there's a reason. Yeah. There's a reason you have the number one and, and number two pick in the draft because you're not very good. And I can remember those games. Are those were kind of the biggest games of the year. You know, that rookie year when we're you know we're facing off. And so, um, um, yeah, it was
2: a good game. We we played each other in the preseason. Yeah, and uh, and then got back at it in the regular season, and it was a pretty darn good game. Um, you know, I've been beat over the head so much in my life telling me how bad a player I was. I went back and watched the game the other day because they were showing some throwback highlights from that matchup. And, uh, it, it boosted my, it boosted my self-worth a little bit because I played pretty darn well. We got a touchdown taken away because our offensive lineman was off the line a little bit. So we didn't have enough players on the offensive line. I threw a couple other dimes and, and I, and I competed against one of the greatest in the, in. I felt more, I felt better about it. Cause I just, you know, you just get beat over the head for so long about how bad you were, you know, you're this bust and all of those things. So sometimes it's good to remember. And, uh, and it, what a, what a cool experience. Um, and I, I, remember seeing the picture after the game and boy, Peyton and I, we, were, oh God, we were so young. We were so young, we <laughs> acne all over our faces still. And we're just like children in this man's world. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's neat to reminisce and, and, and have have stories like that.
0: One of the things I love about betting on FanDuel Sportsbook, and I do every day, is you get more than one shot to swing for the fences. Right now, new and existing users, new and existing, get up to 25 bucks back in site credit each day. Just place a minimum five-leg baseball parlay, and if it fails one leg short, you get up to 25 bucks back with parlay insurance. Okay, it's a chance to put a small bet down and win big. You give your betting picks for the day using current odds available on FanDuel Sportsbook. There's a reason FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is really easy to use. Great odds on all different betting markets. Unique, fun bet types like same game parlay. That's the best thing they have in my opinion. Same game parlays. And always on promotions let you get more out of every game action. And if you win on FanDuel, they pay you in as little as 24 hours. In addition to the parlay insurance, if you haven't tried FanDuel Sportsbook yet, new users can place your first bet risk-free. That's right, new users, 1000 bucks back in site credit if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app, sign up with promo code SUP to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code soup 21 plus and present in colorado indiana or new jersey must wager in designated offer market ten dollars first deposit required 150 max bonus see full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com gaming problem call 1-800-522-4700 in colorado 1-800-9 with it in indiana and 1-800-gambler in jersey
1: right i want to ask you about that you know there's there's a feeling anytime you're I don't care whether you're in eighth grade and you're playing a quarterback or you're the point guard or hitting third and shortstop and you walk into a room, whether it's a classroom, a homeroom, you know, an assembly or a cocktail party or wherever, you you have a little – you got a little skip in your step. And you probably had that for the bulk of your life. And I was wondering, you know, when you walk into a room as a quarterback and all of a sudden things weren't going right, things there was wind in your face and you were getting um, – probably more, you know, more, more trouble than you deserve more from the media. But was that, was that an awkward when you went went places Were you fighting, being the same person you were, just, just holding your head high?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I had some narcissistic personality where I felt like everything had to be about me. And sometimes, you know, as the elite athletes that kind of, it's a razor's edge. Um, so when I would go into rooms, especially after I had gone and you know played so poorly, um, where there were Hall of Famers or Super Bowl champs or successful players at the time, and I felt less than and judged, um, I feared that. I feared all those things, and you know, it probably wasn't the case. People probably weren't looking at me, talking about me, or thinking about me. I just I made it about me. So. You know, I, I I, was scared that, please don't recognize me. Please don't recognize me. Please don't recognize me. And then like 15 minutes later, I'm thinking, why the hell is not anybody recognized me? It's like that, uh, it's that narcissistic personality that, that reared its ugly head a ton for me. And yeah, it was a struggle. Um, I still liked, there were three things, like the ideals of success for me where I thought were money, power, and prestige. And I had succeeded. I had gotten there. So I just thought I was more important than a lot of people simply because I could play this game and I was rich and famous and everything. I had the wrong priorities. Um, and, you know, when you have all that money, when you have a ton of money, what that does is it, it just exposes your character defects. That's what it does. And I didn't realize the, the magnitude and magnifying glass and the scrutiny that was going to come with it and how those behaviors would project onto everybody else. And that's what made it such a struggle. And, most people can figure that stuff out through time. It, it took a, a, an incredible humbling on my part to get to that place where I was okay with who I was, uh, what other people thought of me was none of my business. It just, it was growing pains that took a lot longer than uh, the average the average guy, I think. And I'm grateful for it. It was hard as hell. I'm, I'm grateful for it now at 45, a father, all those things, I'm grateful for it
1: was there anyone along the way who tried to let you know you were acting, you know, like an ass? Yeah, there were plenty.
2: Yeah, <laughs> there were plenty. There were plenty. Right. Um I, I, I travel around, I'll be at your alma mater uh, here uh, on the 11th, speaking to the team. Terrific. And, uh, you know, when I walk into the room with those football players and I tell my story, you know, it's, I was exactly where you guys were 24 years ago and I had guys come in and talk to me too and I would always kind of think yeah wow that's an amazing story but that's not going to be me I mean no way that's going to be me and I think that's the response a lot uh, I get but I try to stay out of that result I just try to be part of the solution and go in and talk about it talk about what Solution-based things you can do, and what things you can control. So when something like this similarly happens, maybe or comes along, you actually have the tools. Junior Seau was uh, a guy that that tried. Rodney Harrison, um, and I just didn't latch on. I, I should have just grabbed a hold of their belt loop, followed them around like a little kid, figured out how to be a professional because they wanted me to succeed. They really did. When I got to Tampa under Tony Dungy, and I had that crew, that defense, who would go on to win a Super Bowl in the next couple of years, that's where I finally kind of figured out how to be a professional. Injuries had bought, uh, you know, had bottled up and had become an issue where I wasn't as talented. Because guess what? It doesn't matter how well your mind works. Eventually, if you the talent doesn't doesn't uh, uh, equal what you're doing on the football field, you're going to be found out quick. You're not going to be able to get it done. So um, there were many. John Elway reached out. Um, there were there were there were plenty of people that offered the the hand, and I, I pretty much just slapped it away.
1: Ron, I'm curious now that you're you know broadcasting college football games and paying attention to what's going on with the the new NIL where you know college players are getting paid. Do you think this is a good recipe for some guys who come in all of a sudden and it's pressure to to figure out where English class is and try to make lifting <laughs> and and you know. and and get to practice on time and get some sleep. And now you throw a pocket full of money on top of it. It seems like it's a a recipe for even more uh, trouble, not only individually, but even as a team with jealousies in the locker room. I'm, I'm curious your take on how you think you would have handled some, some money in your pocket in Pullman before even, you know,
2: Well, it may, I may have gotten found out a little earlier and got, got to get put on the right track. Um, you know, I, I, I do believe players need to be compensated for their name, image, and likeness. It's just too much money out there going by the wayside when only 1% uh, of the 1% will make it to the next level. So I do believe that needs to, to, to happen. Um, how this is moderated, how this is, how, what the oversight is on it, I don't know. You know, you have Nick Saban, you know, and his best Nick Saban stepping up in front of the Texas High School Association's conference in the summer talking about his quarterback who hadn't played it down just because he's got the brand of Alabama signing for over you know almost a million dollars worth of NIL that's that's crazy talk um I'm not going to try to cap it on anybody it's an open market and I want it to be that way there's something to the innocence of college football that I love so much I never thought once about when my jersey was hanging in the in the bookstore on campus and people were wearing it or my likeness was on the video game. I just thought that was just freaking cool. And if you told me I could play 20 games in a season, I wasn't going, Hey, I didn't sign up to play 20 games in a season. This is not what this is about. I was like, yeah, let's play 30. I don't care. It's a different mentality. The evolution of the college athlete has changed and it's always going to be that way. And the fear of the unknown uh, is scary. And I think that's where we're at right now. The NCAA has done a, an incredibly poor job over the last two decades of getting us ready in what the evolution will look like, and that's unfortunate.
1: Ryan, I want to let you know that I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. We uh, we have a, a history, and it's uh, it's great to see you right here. I'm looking forward to seeing you in Canton, and uh, I can tell you that uh, on speaking on on at least on behalf of my family, that we're uh, we're proud of you.
2: Well, I appreciate that. That means a lot. Um, you guys have been a meaningful part of my life, Peyton, of course. Um, it's cool to, uh, it's cool to be able to text that the future hall of famer and and get a response back. I think I just, I don't know. I'm still kind of like off shots kid. When it comes to to guys that were incredibly successful and you're, you know, you know, they are, and and what he's doing after his career, you know, we're kind of, it's ironic. I, I, Saw him when I called the Tennessee-Georgia State game uh, two years ago in that crazy upset uh, on on uh, Rocky Top, and I got to meet his son and see him on the field. And I remember Buddy my post in the picture, and I'm going, hey, just a couple dads now <laughs> catching a game on Rocky Top, uh, you know, yep. uh, that's what we are. So I love it. Um, I'm glad I'm here to experience it, because for the longest time, I didn't. That really I didn't think that was a possibility. So I appreciate you, Coop. I appreciate your whole family. Thanks for having me be a part of this. This is pretty cool, man.
1: As always, Ryan, we always take we like to I like to everybody have a little bite of cold soup at the end and just kind of see yeah. on a scale of one to a thousand, what's your uh, what's your rating is today, thousand being the best.
2: This is really good. I'm gonna say this is like nine fifty, even cold. <laughs> it's got it's got this is a shredded chicken in here with the tomato soup and I, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Thanks. I and mean, this was meant to be, this was meant to be.
1: Well, it's ironic that you picked 950. That's exactly what I got on my SAT. So I appreciate you thinking of it.
2: <laughs> I can't remember what I got on my SAT. I'm pretty close to you. I think I think I might've been like eight, eight, eight or something like
1: that. I don't think anybody was trying to copy off either one of us.
2: <laughs> no, I just needed to get the enough, the number enough to get me to college. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Kind of like the wonder Me and Peyton, we were in there taking it at the same time. I think he, think we both got the same score we're just <laughs> like this is nonsense let's go let's go
1: thank you my friend really enjoyed it you bet have a
2: great week enjoy this with your family thank you bud